want to welcome everyone who's watching online with us today. With us today, thank you for joining us for week number two of our return here to campus. And again, if, if this is your first time with us, thank you so much for coming, making us a part of your day today. And if you're part of our East Springer family, welcome home. We're so glad to have you. Hopefully you saw the, uh, the Welcome Home shirts as you were coming in. Uh, many of our smiling, happy volunteers were, were so excited to be able to welcome you in. And hopefully you've already been uplifted. Derek, thanks for the songs that you have already chosen that we've been singing. Thanks for the way everybody has been participating today. It's just great to be here, even though you're looking around and trying to figure out who got voted off the island. There are some people you don't see right now, you know? Some people didn't make it past the next level of Jumanji. They're not here, but we hope to see them next week. We'll just have to wait and see how that goes. I am thankful for Jeremy, for Becca, for their kindness of uh, speaking to us about what, what heaven here in the real world uh, looks like. If you don't know Jeremy and, and Becca, uh, Jeremy, uh, he has already spent two years uh, in Senegal working uh, with the Peace Corps. And we're glad to have him back now in our midst. Uh, Miss Becca, she is the head band coach over at Boy Buchanan. And so we're glad that she is here in Chattanooga. She's originally from the Memphis area and uh, went to uh, the good university there where she was the uh, drum major uh, with the band. And uh, I appreciate their just willingness just to share as we think about this idea of a home for the soul and, and what it means to think a little bit about, about heaven. We, we said last week that our soul longs to be with God. And our soul finds its purpose in participating in the works of God. So we're going to talk about heaven now for the next few weeks. And I hope you're excited about that. I hope that brings you some joy. There was a, a Sunday school teacher who had her class together. She had this lesson that she'd worked on about heaven. And when she got finished, she said, now who wants to go to heaven? And all the little kids raised their hand except that one kid. There's always that one kid. I always like to tell our youth group whenever they go off on a trip, hey, don't be that kid. Okay? You know who that kid is. That kid is the one when asked, hey, how many of you want to go to heaven? He doesn't raise his hand. Well, the teacher looked at him and said, wait a minute. You mean you don't want to go to heaven? And he said, sure, but I thought you meant who wants to go now? I mean, that's kind of how we look at it, right? We don't want to, well, we don't want to think about heaven. Heaven is great. It's nice. It's in the future. It's somewhere way off in, in the sweet by and by. And it's going to matter then, but not now, because right now we need something that's real. We need something that's relevant. We need something that speaks to what we are dealing with and what we are going through right now in our current situation, in our current times. Is that how you think about heaven? If so, I want you to consider a quote by C.S. Lewis. He observed, if you read history, if you read history, then you find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Lewis is describing individuals whose minds were occupied with heaven. And as a result, they lived out heaven's values. It was tangible. It was something real, and it was something that was relevant. They realized that the New Testament writers didn't write about some pie in the sky when you die by and by theology whenever they would write and think about heaven. Instead, it was something that was so real and relevant that their current situation couldn't help but be impacted. 
So last week I said I wanted to introduce this idea to talk about the subject of heaven and to do so not so that we can tidy up our beliefs about what will happen one day, someday, but so that we could understand that how we live with God then should affect how we live for God now. Now think about that for a minute. Let it sink in a little bit. How we live with God then should affect how we live for God right here and in, in right now. It's why throughout the New Testament we are encouraged to have a sacred obsession, a sacred obsession of heavenly-mindedness, where heaven is our fixation. Where not only is heaven perceived as real, but it's also relevant. It's why Paul would tell those Christians who lived in Colossae, let heaven fill your thoughts. And it wasn't so that they could look off one day, someday, there's going to be this great by and by. It was so that the life that they lived right here, right now, would be changed. Would be impacted. Would be different. You see, I think if we will do this very thing, if we will develop a sacred obsession a heavenly fixation. I truly believe that we can't help but live out some benefits right here and right now. It's just a taste. It's just a sip. It's not the fullness of heaven, but it is a glimpse that we have. You see, if, if your worldview accurately includes the next world, then your lifestyle will be impacted in this world. So let's talk about a few of the ways that takes place. I think heaven helps us stand out. Now, some of you already stand out, okay? I mean, you walk in, it's like, hey, hey, hey. I'm here. What's happening now, right? I mean, that, that is just who you are. But in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, we are called to live as aliens and strangers. We are called to relate to this world as outsiders, as travelers, as, as pilgrims, as nomads, as temporary residents. Now, it doesn't mean that that we go around and separate ourselves from all the unbelievers. It doesn't mean that we, we go and live up on a mountain somewhere, even though you could. It doesn't mean that you go and, and seclude yourself away behind four walls, even though that is an option, I suppose. What Peter is getting at is that if our fixation is on heaven, then we will naturally have some values and priorities that set us apart from non-believers. Guys, our lives should look different. Our lives should look different from those who do not believe as we believe. Our lives should look different than people who do not believe in a heaven. Our lives should look different and be separate and apart from those who do not believe in Jesus as being the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There should be a difference where people look and say, you stand out. There's something unique about your family. There's something different about your marriage. There's something that I just can't put my finger on it. But it's different. How about this for an example? If our obsession is heaven, then I think we will have a surprising and unexpected and even a bewildering, and that's a hard word to say, bewildering, a bewildering view of people. You see, we're going to start seeing people and the importance of people and begin investing more in people because we realize that people are God's top commodity. Transitioning into this next life, Paul tells the Corinthians, look, we don't view people in the same way that we used to. We don't see them just because of their 
their, what they have and how they look. Instead, he said, look, when people looked at Jesus this way, they missed God. So don't go around and look at others and judge them by what they wear and where they come from and, and, and how they talk and what they look like. You see, if our obsession is heaven, then we stand out in the way we see people. The Apostle John was given the opportunity to peek around the, the veil that, that separates earth and heaven. And I love what he describes here in Revelation it's in chapter 7, it says in verse 9, I saw this vast crowd. See, there before me was this multitude of, of people. He said it was too great to count from every nation and tribe and, and people and language, and they were all standing before the throne. They were standing before the Lamb, and they were all raising their voice and shouting out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John says, look, I, I, I had the curtain pulled back and I saw all these faces. And I saw brown faces and I saw black faces and I saw white faces and I saw red faces and I saw faces all with colors in between. And these faces represented God's creation. And they were different people groups that God had intentionally breathed life into. And they were different people groups who Jesus had intentionally died for. And John heard them praising God, each praising God in their own language, each praising God with these different dialects and these different accents. And John witnessed a, a multicultural and multi-ethnic worship extravaganza. And he wrote it down for us. And he wrote it down for us because I, I really do think that God wants us to understand that heaven welcomes all people to come and worship the Lamb. And the more obsessed we are with heaven, the more welcoming of all people we will be. There should be something different about us. There should be something that stands out because our fixation is heaven. And it should be seen in the value that we place on the people in our lives. It should be seen in the way that we relate to, yes, to our brothers and sisters who believe the way that we do about Jesus, about heaven, about all these things we're talking about, but it should also be seen in the way in which we treat those who don't believe as we do. It should be seen in the way that we treat those who look like us and talk like us and act like us, and it should be seen in the way that we, we, we treat individuals who have look nothing like us and have totally different backgrounds and come from totally different places and have totally different lives and different experiences. But we will stand out because of our heavenly fixation. And we realize that there's coming a day where there's going to be multitudes, multitudes, too many to count, of people from all types of backgrounds, with all types of voices, with all types of languages, with all types of looks, and they're all going to be together, together, praising God. And if we are going to be there then with those, then we need to understand how to live with people here and now. And to treat them now the way that we are going to worship with them then, with a heavenly fixation. You know, maybe the most surprising way that we stand out is when it comes to our attitude about happiness. Esau thought his happiness could be realized by selling his birthright for a, a warm bowl of food. David thought that it would come through a sexual encounter with another man's wife. You know, it's no different for us. We pull out our credit card and we begin to swipe and 
we click here and we order that and we get further into debt. Or maybe it's when we become indifferent to our abuse of the natural resources of this planet and we just leave our, our children to worry about it and to deal with all the impact and effects. Or it's the person who, who tries to escape through lust or alcohol or, or drugs. But, but understand, if, if our belief in heaven is sharp and if it is focused and if that is where our fixation is, then that sacred obsession causes us to have a, a shift when it comes to our, our time framework. And to our surprise, all of a sudden, we end up finding joy in, in hope. We end up finding joy in things that are eternal, not in what's going to be a quick fix, not in what's just going to make us feel good today and what's going to get us through tonight and what's going to help us out this weekend. See, in other words, we don't just reduce our lives to a here and now purpose. It's like the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. There was a very successful man who decided, hey, I'm going to tear down some barns. Maybe you want to think about it. He's tearing down garages. He's got 10 garages. He's going to tear those down. He's going to build 20. He's got to have room for all of his cars. But when he's facing the next life, God calls him a fool. Now understand, he is called a fool not because of his materialism as much for his temporalism. He knew he was going to die, yet he didn't live and get ready for it. You see, heaven helps us declare a, a larger version of life. And we declare that that is what we are loyal to. And when we get this, then all of a sudden we begin to see the differences between the treasures and the trinkets. We see the difference between what is durable and what is disposable. We stand out. We look different. And that's just one of the ways that our future hope is a present help. Here's another one. Heaven will help you lighten up. And there are some of you that, boy, you are wound tight. Yeah, just ask your spouse. Go ahead. You're, you're, you're wound up. You, you, you're, you're all anxious, and, and you're, all, you're all tight, and you, and you need to be a little looser. And here's what I'm saying. When we focus on heaven, it helps us see things that matter, and it helps us understand the things that don't. You know, I, I think I've probably been to around half a dozen airports in my life. And quite honestly, I can't tell you what one single one of those looks like. I mean, I know there's planes there. I mean, okay. There's planes, and they got those little people movers, you know, and you get to step on them and go. And, and, and I remember the first time my parents ever went to uh, the airport in Atlanta, and they walked up to the counter and said, hey, we would like to get something to, uh, to eat. And they were like, sure, go down this hallway, get on tram A, and ride it to, and they were like, I don't know, we, we, we don't want to leave, you know, we don't want to leave the airport to go get something to eat. And they were like, oh, you're not leaving the airport. <laughs> you guys that have been through Atlanta, you know how that is. I don't remember anything about, you know, the airports. I probably stayed in over 100 hotel rooms, right? Some of you guys, you feel like you live out of a hotel room. You live out of your suitcase. But I don't remember how any of those hotel rooms are decorated. And you know why? Well, I, I just don't get all wrapped up in the temporary. I, I don't get wrapped up in the places that I'm only going to be there for a short time. You see, I don't stay in airports, and I don't live in hotels, I just visit them. It's why Paul said as we make our way home, our troubles are small. Our troubles are small. They last only for, for a short time. But they are earning for us a glory that will, that will last forever. It's, it's, it's greater than all of our troubles, so we don't spend all of our time looking at what we can see. Instead, we look at what we can't see. Because what, we can, what can be seen lasts only for a short time, but what can't be seen it lasts forever. Now understand, when Paul writes this, he's not trying to 
trivialize life. He's trying to compare. He's trying to show you what real life is all about. And how often do we get bent out of shape about things that have no eternal consequence? Or hey, about this? How often do we get bent out of shape about things that don't even make the 24-hour rule, right? I mean, it's going to be over in a couple hours. It'll be over before bedtime. And we are just all worked up. And we are just all upset over it. Some of you guys know Randy Harris, a former professor of theology at Abilene Christian University. And he calls this whole idea the eschatological viewpoint, the learning to live now with the future in mind. And he tried to get this idea across to his students, and he would, he would know that they were starting to get it when a student would come and want to argue a grade. He says a student would come and say, I want to be. And instead, Randy would go, well, I'm sorry, but you really deserve a C. And they would begin arguing back and forth, and it would be going round and around. And, and, and after about 10 minutes, Randy would say, well, why are we doing this? I mean, in 10 years, what will it matter if you get a B or a C? And he would know, he said, that the student had that eschatological viewpoint when the student would say, you're right. What does it matter? So give me the B. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> But we, we start to look at it and go, right. And, and, and I'm understanding this more. You know, I've got a daughter who's in, in college now, and, and, and so she calls up, and, and, and we have conversations, and we talk, and like, hey, you know, what have you been doing? She's like, I've been in the library. I'm like, they have those on campus? <laughs> really? Y'all got one of those? Uh, what do you do at the library? Well, I'm in a study group. Oh, that's great. You know, you got a test coming up? No, it's still a few weeks off. Why are you at the library? I mean, you know, come on. I mean, uh, that, that was at least my college experience. I was like, as long as you get the D for done, as long as you get out, I mean, that's going to be okay, right? I mean, nobody comes up and asks, what did you make in organic chemistry? Right? No, nobody, nobody asks. No, nobody asks. Uh, you know, Tim Evans, he's going to close us out in prayer here in a few minutes. And uh, you've got a degree in electrical engineering. Is that right? No? You, you missed those classes? It's mechanical. Right? Right? Now, uh, anybody ever come and ask you what grades you made in certain classes? They don't? Say that louder. I want to make sure your son hears this if he's watching. Right? No. 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 They, they don't come and ask. And, and yet we get so consumed with these grades. And, we, and we're thinking about where we're going to go to school and what kind of job we're going to get. And what's going to happen off in the future. Now look, guys, we live in a totally stressed out world. And I can already see the emails that are coming to me from mom and dads and from the school counselors. And um, I'm trying to make a point, all right? Look, here in the United States, the top 10 prescriptions that doctors give out, I'm told, have all to do with anxiety. We are an uptight, bent out of shape, ready to explode culture. Hey, students, do the best you can. But understand, if you don't make the grade, you still have a home for your soul. Lighten up. And this culture needs a people who bear witness to a peace that passes understanding. Where people look at you and say, I don't understand how you're not just, just all in a ball of knots right now. It's a heavenly fixation. One more thing this fixation will do for us. It's going to help us finish strong. Some of our light and momentary struggles just don't seem very light and momentary, do they? 
In August of 1950, a young woman named Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel between England there and France. It took her 13 hours and 20 minutes. Think about swimming for that long. A couple of years later, in 1952, she decided to step into the frigid waters of the Pacific, and at this time she was going to go between the Catalina Islands and the California coastline. And it was a 26-mile swim. So she got into the water, and she began. She was flanked with boats on either side in order to watch for sharks and to help her in case there was any trouble. And about 15 hours in, a thick fog set in, and, and, and Florence began to doubt her ability. But those in the boat, including her mom, called out to her and said, you can do this. And it, it encouraged her so that she was able to go on for another hour, 16 hours of swimming, until finally physically and emotionally exalted, exhausted, they they pulled her out of the water when she said she couldn't go any further. And she discovered that the shore, in the midst of the fog, was less than a half a mile away. At the press conference the next day, she said, I'm not going to make excuses, but I really do think that if I could have just seen the shore, if I could have just seen the shore, then I would have made it. And guys, this is what a heavenly fixation will do when life overwhelms, you don't give up because you see the shore. Understand? Now, now look, heaven doesn't erase all the pain that takes place in this life. But it does give you leverage over that pain. See, Jesus never promised heaven in its fullness while we live here on earth. It's just a glimpse. It's just a taste. It's just a sip of what it's going to be, the fullness of truly being with God. But this is a cursed earth that is devolving, not evolving. But yet at times, I think we're very flippant with this, and we soft-pedal Christianity, and we tell hurting people, hey, Jesus is the answer. You got problems? Hey, Jesus is the answer. And now look, I believe that to be true, but I want you to think about something. How is Jesus the answer for the severely handicapped person who will never be able to do the things that you and I take for granted? How is Jesus the answer for the terminally ill person? Or how, how is Jesus the answer for the perpetually oppressed people of this world? Or for those who are permanently poor? How is Jesus the answer for a people in pain? I believe Jesus is, but it's more than just words. It's having a foundation that understands Jesus is the answer. Because his victory means that our trials will pass, but our triumph will last forever. That's why Paul tells the Romans... Hey, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Guys, we're going to have pain and suffering, and there's going to be problems in this life. And there's going to be some of us who our time here on earth is going to be filled with heartache and loss. And you may have 72 years on this planet of chronic pain and suffering and injustice. But when you have experienced the fullness of heaven, for 532,723,176 years, and somebody comes up and says, how's your existence? You're not going to talk about a virus. You're not going to talk about a job. You're not going to talk about school. You're not going to talk about loss. You're not going to talk about heartache. You're not going to talk about death. You're only going to talk about God. It's a heavenly fixation. It's what life what life is supposed to be pointing us to. I think it's why David said in Psalm chapter 27, I ask one thing of the Lord. This is what I seek. This is what I want most. 
to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And you know, at the end of the 23rd Psalm, he says, I want to live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, now is he talking about a house with four walls and some kind of a door that you can enter in, but you can never exit? He, I, I don't think so. I think instead what he's saying is that he yearns to be in God's presence at all times. David's soul longed to be with God, and so does yours. So does mine. He said, great, but for right now we're stuck in this world, right? Well, hold on. Hold on. Heaven, as you read through Scripture, and we're going to see this more in the weeks that are to come, heaven is not so much about a future destiny, even though it is, as it is more the other hidden side, the other dimension, so to speak, of the ordinary life. It's God's dimension. It's, it, it's, it's where God in his fullness is, is there now. And our soul longs to be on the other side of the curtain. Our soul longs to be singing with the multitude. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what we want. That's what we, that's what we desire. See, understand, heaven knows no difference between Sunday morning and Wednesday afternoon. It's all the same. God longs to speak as clearly in the workplace as he does in the sanctuary. He longs to be worshipped when we sit around the dinner table and when we come to the communion table. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, whether it's in the office on Thursday or at a volleyball game on Saturday, you are closer to heaven than you think. You don't even need a change of address. You just need a change of perspective, a change of perception. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Friends, heaven is then and now. Heaven is here and there. Heaven is real and it is relevant. So focus on it today. Embrace its impact tomorrow. Let it become your sacred obsession. Allow the home for your soul to be the hope of your life. Live out its values. Make a tangible impact in this world. Make a difference in this world precisely because you were so focused on the next. So let me ask you, who wants to go to heaven? And better yet, who wants to experience a little bit of heaven right now? Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for not leaving us alone. Just to grapple with this world. Help us to understand that all the things that we see here, yes, they are temporary. And allow us to be able to have a taste, a, a sip, just a small glimpse of what eternity is like. We are thankful for Jesus and for not only his coming, but for his sacrifice. It was you reminding us that we are not alone. We are grateful for your spirit that strengthens us and encourages us while we're here. But Father, our soul longs to be behind the curtain. Our soul longs to be present fully with you. Until that day comes, allow heaven, allow that sacred obsession to help us stand out. 
Allow us to be different in the way that we treat others. Allow us to look different in where we go for our happiness. And Father, allow that fixation to, to give us peace and allow us to lighten up and to, to be able not to become so stressed out with the things that do not last. And Father, may we all finish strong. May we have that glimpse of what is to come, the fullness that awaits us, and so may we continue in this journey knowing that it is not in vain. Father, allow us to be of earthly good because we have a heavenly fixation. We thank you. We thank you for wanting to be near us. And Father, we thank you for calling us home. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, normally whenever we get together at times like this, we, we oftentimes close out messages and give an opportunity for people to respond and with any type of prayer a request they might have or request to be baptized into Christ because of their belief that Jesus is the Son of God due to the, the virus restrictions that we have, the, that, that close face-to-face -face interaction is difficult right now. And so what we want you to know is that um, after we are done here today, one of our elders will be in our prayer room, which is located off in our lobby. And if you would like just to have a time to talk with someone, to have someone pray with you specifically, individually, uh, they would be glad to do that uh, for you. It's a way to be a little bit more distant, but still be able to have that, um, that interaction. And so in the song that we sing here now, it's not necessarily an invitation song, a time of invitation, but a time of reflection. It's a time for you to reflect on the living hope that you have in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing it out together. We're going to close out in prayer then when we're done. We are so thankful that you have been here today. We hope that it has been uplifting for you, encouraging for you, and just a little taste, just a little sip of what heaven will be like. Why don't we stand and praise God together?